do you remember those first things that made you a Browns fan? You know, back before you got jaded and predictable and frustrated and used to the misery. You know, before the before all the Cleveland just seeped into you and became so much of your being. Do you remember what it was that made you a Browns fan first? The guys, the players? For me, it was guys like Chip Banks and Clay Matthews and Hanford Dixon and, of course, Bernie Kosar and that whole crowd. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's been an interesting offseason to be a Browns fan, especially a Browns fan growing up, having grown up, excuse me, here in Southern California. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, I'm a Browns fan who had never set foot in Cleveland until I was nearly 30. Um, it's genetic, and uh, I suppose we might call it a, a genetic defect of some kind. But nevertheless, I was infected at a very young age. I remember uh, getting really excited for just the possibility that the Browns, the Browns score would float across the ticker. Uh, this was in the early 80s before probably most of you were born, and you didn't get to see your team every weekend. That was not a possibility. Um, it was just becoming a thing where there were sports bars, and you could go, and they might have a satellite connection to your team. And so, you know, as I got a little bit older, I could start doing that. But I'm talking at the very outset of it, there was none of that. There was maybe your team would be on TV once or twice a year. and uh, But mostly what you did was waited for the score to float across the screen or the guys to give you the update with 15 minutes to go in whatever quarter. And uh, it, it was always you would just lose your mind <laughs> for your team. And so at least that's how it was for me because my team was a couple thousand miles away as it happened. Um, and... I couldn't get into the locals. You know, the Raiders were in L.A. by then, and my father was the Browns fan, and he would be damned if I was going to be a Raiders fan in his house. And the Rams, uh, who were 20 minutes away in the same stadium that my favorite baseball team played at, I just couldn't. They were constantly getting trounced by those fantastic 49ers teams of the era, and so they never quite hooked me either. And then they moved away, as did the Raiders, of course. And... There was no SoCal team, so I stayed with the Browns. And I sort of got to the point where I rooted sort of secondarily for all the California teams. It's fun to go see a Chargers game. It's sunny. Girls are pretty, all that stuff. Go up to the Bay Area. There are great experiences up there, too. But none of those are my teams. And even with the Rams moving back and their training camp being five minutes down the road here, for some reason, despite all these multi-double-digit loss seasons that we continue as a fan base to endure, I can't give these bastards up. And so here we go with the 2016 Browns Notes season preview. How's everybody doing? This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West here in Orange County, California. And this is the first episode of the 2016 version of the podcast, and I advise you all, if you've managed to sit through that little rambling, to kick up your feet because this is going to be a long one. I've recorded a couple of conversations, actually three to be precise, one with our old friend Brendan Leister, probably the oldest, I believe in fact the first Browns Note guest. I could be wrong about that, I'd have to go back, but certainly the, uh, the other driving force uh, to this podcast over the years, and Pete Smith, who over the last couple of years has become uh, 
an equal contributor as well. And it's been, it's been really fun talking football with both of those guys over the years. And uh, we're going to do some things this year to open it up to even more people. And then the third voice you'll hear tonight, or excuse me, the fourth, if we're counting mine as well, the fourth voice you'll hear will be Sen Soga, my old partner in crime from the football sickness days. He is going to join us as he happens to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan and a disaffected one at that with current events being as they are in Philadelphia and without, uh, breaking into it too much here in the intro. I'll just tell you that that was a fun conversation. It's just a quick one at the end of the podcast, but I hope you'll enjoy it. And so I think with that, I'll just give you a couple of quick opening thoughts about the squad off the top, and then we'll get into these conversations as, uh, again, I will warn you in advance. This is a long podcast. So if you're fiending for Brown's information, half-assed analysis, uh, etc. Actually, I think these guys are pretty comprehensive. My my analysis will be the half-assed. Pete's and Brendan's and Sen's will be the professional, truly researched, football backgroundy kind of analysis. And uh, you'll just have to meet me halfway on mine because it's my podcast. Anyway, my thought about the Browns. Look, they added a whole bunch of athletes, playmakers. Um, or at least guys that they think can be playmakers in the NFL. And obviously there's a whole bunch of uncertainty priced into that because 13 of the 14 draft picks made the team. A couple other guys that really have no NFL experience have have made the team. Terrell Pryor, though, I mean, it'd be hard to ignore what he did in the preseason. Let us not forget that that remains the preseason. Um, But, I I mean, I think we're looking at a guy who's going to be a productive NFL receiver. So you look at things like that. And, and you start to think maybe a couple of these project kind of things can go in their, in their direction. And, of course, none of those projects really matter if the Robert Griffin project doesn't go in their direction. Uh, it, at least offensively to me, their fate hinges on the ability to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly and into the hands of guys like the aforementioned prior. Obviously, Corey Coleman being the first-round pick who was brought in strictly because he scores touchdowns. Let's be real about it. Uh, it Andrew Hawkins is a playmaker. If he can stay healthy, he's a slippery little dude on the slot. And, of course, with any good luck, we'll have Josh Gordon back in week five as they <laughs> take on the Patriots. Oh, goody. But it, I think for the first time in a great many, many moons, and frankly, probably by good distance, more than any of the Browns teams since the return, this team has playmakers on the offensive side of the ball at pretty much, not pretty much, at every position. The running back position, I think, look, I think Crowell Crowell is a competent NFL back. I don't think he's a stud power horse, but I think he's a competent NFL back, and he can do everything you need a complete back to do. I think the same of Duke Johnson, but I think he's more electric. I think he's more dynamic, particularly in the passing game. I think he's a guy that, a lot like Brian Westbrook used to be for the Eagles, on passing downs, you really have to be worried about that guy because he's going to come in and he could line up in any number of spaces and he can frankly do the job of two or different, two or three different kinds of players. So I really like what they're doing. <laughs> Maybe it's just luck that they've managed into some of these players, but they've selected some guys. They've found some diamonds in the rough, i.e. a Gary Barnage, who I think we have to expect really good things from this season. I mean, he's going to get all kinds of matchup advantages with the kinds of talent that they have on the outside now. And, and so... Unlike the years of the past where it seemed like we were still trying to play Marty Schottenheimer football in the era of uh, Bill Belichick's offensive advancements, and I'll let that irony sink in for just a second, but in that era, 
why are we still trying to play that kind of ball when what the, the game of football seems to be evolving to is a game more akin to basketball on a soccer field. And by that, I mean, we're looking at freak show athletes of abnormal size and speed and length doing freaky athletic things. And I don't mean at any one position. I mean at all positions, from quarterback, maybe not kicker, but, but pretty much everywhere in between. You look at the kinds of athletes that are playing defensive tackle or defensive end, be it a J.J. Watt, be it, um, I mean, even going back a few years to Mario Williams, Guys on this team, even an Ogba, is an incredible athlete. And the kinds of guys that are just out there playing sort of a pickup style of football, and I mean that in an athletic sense, meaning what we're trying to do is simplify the game vis-a-vis a game in the 80s and 90s where it was the game was getting complicated. If that makes any sense, I hope you've understood it. But I feel like the new regime sees it that way and has addressed the personnel situations accordingly. And by that, I mean they've gone out and gotten guys that can run and can jump and can do things that, you know, athletic plays require. And if you're going to score touchdowns and if you're going to sack quarterbacks by getting around left tackles and if you're going to cover the freak show wide receivers or be the freak show wide receivers in this league, you got to be a crazy athlete. And I felt like they did an excellent job infusing it. I really – I'll just say about the preseason in about a minute – I was buoyed by what I saw in a number of cases and and similarly discouraged, or maybe a better way to put it is, had my fears <laughs> confirmed about some of the, the, the obvious weaknesses. They're not going to be able to stop the run. They're not really going to be able to cover on a consistent basis, I don't think, n- multiple receivers. Uh, you you got to hope Joe Hayden is going to be the best Joe Hayden we have ever seen because without that, um, yeah, they're, they're in real trouble. But, hey, maybe... Maybe what we'll find is that Ray Horton, on his second time through Cleveland, is a better schemer of pressure and has a few more pressure-creating athletes. Maybe uh, Tyrone Holmes, the pickup out of Jacksonville, will be just what this team needs in terms of a sack master. Who knows? Things happen. Remember when Cameron Wake came out of the CFL, for example? So I don't put anything past the NFL. There are always things that can jump up, and hey, I'm going to go ahead and end my remarks with a nice little piece of red meat here. Maybe this is just Cleveland's year, huh? All right, and very glad to be joined now by my good friend Brendan Leister from the heart of Ohio. Brendan is a, well, these days he's a high school offensive coordinator, or if I'm being more accurate, I guess, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but passing game coordinator. And uh, team is undefeated thus far. I'm sure we will hear a little bit about that. He is also a contributor, though uh, not so much uh, with the coaching duties at the moment, a contributor to the OBR, Scout.com's Orange and Brown Report, which for me remains... uh, the quality Browns site uh, among the the big ones. And uh, you can find him on Twitter where you can and should be following him at Brendan Leister. How you doing, bud? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, like you said, the team is undefeated so far. We're 2-0. and uh, We scored with under a minute left, I think, on Friday night to win the game. We were down 14-13, to so that was a pretty crazy uh, last-minute win. But, yeah season's going well and we have a big challenge this friday oh yeah who's who's the big challenge yeah. 
Uh, it's Mapleton High School. They're near Ashland, Ohio. So some of the listeners might have an idea of where that is. Uh, they're pretty well coached. Um, they're, they're defensive and offensive lines are young, but uh, everywhere else pretty much they're returning starters. And, like, they had a freshman quarterback last year who's back this year as a sophomore. And they run a lot of RPOs. They do a lot of creative things on offense. And uh, defensively, they're just they're well coached. So it should be a challenge, but I think our guys are up to the challenge. And we're planning on doing some creative things this week on offense, too. So I'm excited about it. Nice. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. And hopefully um, it will mirror some creativity that we're going to see on Sundays this this fall, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball for the Browns. Uh, we've obviously got a little bit of familiarity around here with uh, the Ray Horton uh, situation, but obviously Hugh Jackson coming in on the offensive side with a bevy of coaches with a lot of uh, a lot of touchdowns in their past, a lot of success at the NFL, NFL level in their past. Uh, and of course, there are some younger coaches mixed in there as well. So we'll have to see how it goes, but let's, just start sort of meandering down the Browns' path and talking about whatever we feel like talking about as we head into this season. Let's let's you know let's start broad and then work our way down into the specific. Obviously, a ton of change this off season. New front office, new head coaches. We discussed all that the last time we got together, uh, but now we have a better a better handle on all the new personnel, of course, um, on both sides of the ball. Obviously, a ton of it. Fourteen rookies made it up until yesterday they cut the the lowest of the rookies I guess or the lowest drafted of the rookies I, I think he was a seventh round corner or maybe I've got it mixed up but anyway fifth, they, fifth they round fifth round corner they cut one corner out of the group but the other 13 rookies have made the squad obviously uh, added some free agents um, that had been recently waived in the last couple of days that at least in my from where I can sit uh, they look like immediate upgrades on those two spots on a couple of spots and then Couple of interesting guys to the practice squad. Uh, maybe the name that people would know best was Kevin Hogan, but um, you know that's obviously for more of a future discussion as we head into the regular season in Philadelphia this uh, this Sunday. And of course, they'll be facing a guy they could have had in Carson Wentz. Let's uh, let's talk about what you're seeing, Brendan, in terms of sort of the overall picture before we start breaking down anything in particular. As you see all these changes that took place over the off season, what is your view of sort of the you know, you know, people have different interpretations of the philosophy of the philosophy and of the plan. So, give me yours and tell me what you think we're in store for this season. Yeah, I think uh, I think the goal is to win. First of all, I don't think the team's trying to tank. I don't think the goal is to get the number one pick. I know a lot of people think that they're trying to tank and all that, but that's just my my view. I can't see Hugh Jackson tanking. I can't see him buying into that. He wants to win. He wants to change the culture. That's huge when you coach football. I think anybody that coaches football or has coached football would tell you that. You've got to get guys to buy in. And when you're – you can't be trying to lose, obviously, well, especially as a new coach. You don't want, obviously, guys to not be all in because that's when things go wrong. Um, I think from an offensive standpoint, Hugh Jackson's track record speaks for itself. I think they have talent at the skill positions on offense, more talent than I can remember and probably all the time that I've watched the Browns if everybody's not suspended and playing and all that. I mean, Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell, Gary Barnage, Terrell Pryor, Corey Coleman, Josh Gordon, just off the top. I mean, that's, that's talented players. Plus, you throw in those rookie wide receivers that gives them some depth. 
Um, I'm a big fan of Rashard Higgins. I know a lot of people like him. If you're a fan of Jordan Payton, you watched him in college. So, I mean, that's some depth behind those guys. Um, I think the offensive line, I think it'll be solid. I think it'll be, you know, average. I don't think it's going to be bad like people predict with the losses of Alex Mack and, uh, and Mitchell Schwartz. I think it's going to be solid. I like Pastor. I think he's going to do an okay job at right tackle. He's not an all pro, but he's going to get the job done in my opinion. And the team seems to be excited about where, where Cam Irving's going. So we've got to monitor his progress, but I think he's headed in the right direction um, after a really poor rookie year. So offensively, as long as they can keep RG three healthy, and that's the guy that I actually didn't mention amongst the skilled players that, I mean, he is very talented and if Hugh Jackson can get what he has gotten out of other quarterbacks out of RG three, then we could really see RG3 turn it around. So um, I think the offense has a chance to put up points, but the key will be, I think, the offense getting up on people early in games and forcing teams to pass because if they're down, I don't see that run defense stopping anybody from running the ball. Um, Yeah, (laughs) ever. Seems to be a running theme, obviously. We've gotten used to that one. Um, you, you know, you started off on RG3, so let's, let's, co- let's just stay there for a minute because I know you're a, a big focus of your coaching and of your sort of evaluation and, analy- and, and blah, 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 analytical focus has been the quarterback position just generally over the past few years. And I'm sure some of that has to do with what you're coaching and then some of it has to do with uh, what has been the massive need for the Browns and what you're, you've been writing on for the past couple of years and so on. Um, Obviously, they chose to address the quarterback position in a somewhat particular way this year. They went out and they could have obviously drafted a position or a player at at number two. They chose instead to sign Robert Griffin and and eventually chose to back out of that number two slot. And and for whatever reason today, um, Mary Kay and Tony have been out there re, you know, sort of re-pushing their story about how DePodesta revealed as though this were any great shock that the Browns determined that Carson Wentz was unlikely in their minds to become a top 20 NFL QB. I mean, it seems fairly obvious to me. Had they thought he was, they would have drafted him. But the fact that they didn't draft him tells you that. I don't know why that required explanation or an article, but apparently it does. Um, And so, and then they, they went and they spent a relatively high pick in light of that on Cody Kessler, a guy I think very, very little of, frankly, having seen him pretty up close for the past few years in the Pac-12, I I didn't like the pick. I still don't like the pick. I don't think that pick goes anywhere. So my real question is about Griffin. Um, it, it's it's such an interesting case study. I don't I can't think in 35 plus years of watching football of another case quite like his. Somebody that came in so highly touted and with such college success bursts onto the NFL scene and has a huge rookie year, and then from that point forward never, ever, ever again looks like he can play the game um, for two or three years. And and to the point where they sat him down last year entirely and made him the scout team safety in Washington. So just such an odd conglomerate of facts. And then Hugh Jackson, of course, eminently positive at all times, says that Griffin's workout this offseason, the one predating the signing, uh, was the best quarterback workout he'd seen maybe outside of Carson Palmer's coming out of USC. So it's it's just so fascinating to me to see the career arc of Robert Griffin III, 
um, interla- or overlapping now with the Browns development arc and both needing to sort of start from scratch here together and, and take the leap of faith with each other. What are your observations to date of RG3 and what do you think we're going to see going forward this season? Uh, from what I've seen of RG3 in the preseason, I was, I was impressed with it at times. I mean, he showed the deep touch, the arm strength. I mean, the ball just jumps out of his hand. He can throw the ball down the field. Very accurate, deep passer. I think that's going to um, work well with the receivers they have. Um, the guys, you know, Corey Coleman, Terrell Pryor, uh, Josh Gordon, once he's back, those guys can all get down the field and burn corners. So I think that's going to be put to good use. Um, Hugh Jackson is big on playing the guy's strength. Uh, you don't see RG3 consistently go through full field progression necessarily. I mean, that's, I think it's all a work in progress with him from that standpoint, but, and it's also the preseason. So it's a lot of vanilla stuff. He didn't get a lot of reps. I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't sit there and study him closely, but typically from what I've seen in the past of RG3, that it was a lot of reading half field, stuff like that. Not always comfortable coming all the way back across the field and be, and uh, throwing accurately, getting in position to throw. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses throughout the season. Um, I think from what he showed in the preseason, some of the stuff was promising. Like I said, the deep touch also, I thought sliding, you know, he would take off, he would take what the defense gave him uh, with his legs and then he would slide rather than in the past, I remember when he came out of Baylor and you and I just talked about how he was so reckless. It was, it was incredible how reckless he was about as reckless as any quarterback I've probably ever seen. And we, we all know where that got him in his first few years. So um, I'm just looking forward to seeing him work with Hugh Jackson. Um, he's just such a talented player. If he can just put it all together and he has a great coach to work with him. Well, and you raise a, you raise a great point. I, the ability or the the mere instinct to protect himself was something that he totally lacked forever. And that has been something that has jumped out at me this preseason has been his understanding of the weapon that his legs can be for him if only he keeps himself from getting broken. Um, you can you can break off 10, 15, 20-yard chunks real easily when you're Robert Griffin III without putting yourself in so much harm's way like he used to do. And as you say, Reckless, in my mind, barely begins to describe his running style at Baylor and in the early years in Washington. So if he has turned a corner on that, I mean, that's that's a massive leap to begin with before we even start talking about the passing game. Now, in the passing game, I think, for the preseason, what I basically saw from him is a lot of what I've seen from him in the past. An absolutely beautiful deep ball thrower, a guy who has a natural ability to throw the football at all levels. Um, but who probably does not yet have what I call the book smarts of football, meaning he, he just he doesn't have the basis, the fundamental basis of knowledge yet to be an all-around great pocket quarterback. And that's fine uh, to me anyway. It's, it's always going to be a process. Everyone who analyzed him coming out of Baylor should have seen that, well, guys that are in Baylor or at Baylor are not necessarily going to walk right into a pro offense and know what the hell they're doing or when they're looking at, you know, NFL defenses on a Sunday to Sunday basis, they're not always going to know what they're looking at and they are going to hold the ball. They are going to get sacked. They are going to throw picks. They're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think Griffin is still at, at 25 or 26, whatever he is, he's still in that 
age age range where I expect him to make those kinds of mistakes. I think quarterbacking is the single hardest thing to do in sports, and I think far too often it is minimized in terms of what it really takes just to be marginally effective, never mind really good at the quarterback position. So what I'm looking for is basically average to competent quarterback play with really good deep ball ability sprinkled in this season. And so I, I think it's there's a decent chance we'll see that. And come the end of the year, they'll be able to make a really good assessment as to whether they move forward with him or whether it's time to go get another one. And obviously we'll, we'll talk about it when the time comes, but they'll have the resources to go get another one if they want to. Um, in order to get that kind of quarterback play out of Griffin, they are obviously going to need to support him around the offense. The running game has been lackluster by and large since the return of the Browns to Cleveland. And the passing game has been limited by the total lack of playmakers. And as you mentioned, that has suddenly almost overnight changed. Got guys on the outside that can run with it, that can run and go get it, that can catch it, that can make plays with it. Um, Gary Barnage, a tight end that obviously broke out last year and has made some beautiful plays already this preseason and is going to see, I would think, a lot more inviting coverages than he did last year when he was the focus of the passing game. And then, of course, um, you, you have to wonder whether Duke Johnson is going to really burst out uh, with all these other guys out there. I mean, I, I think Duke Johnson's an incredible we- weapon in the passing game, but the, the real trick of, of not only designing this offense but defending against it is figuring out how to spread the, ro- the ball around evenly enough that all these playmakers uh, get, to, get to do things with it. So as you look at all these guys they've suddenly got to play with, and you have some familiarity, obviously, with, with what Hugh Jackson has done in the past and and he, like many coaches, will emphasize that what he's going to do, or at least attempt to do, is put his guys in a position to succeed by having them do the things they're good at. What do you think the offense, from sort of a, a schematic and, and distribution standpoint, is going to look like? Well, first of all, I mean, we're going to see power run game. I mean, that, that's first and foremost with Hugh Jackson. I think he's going to want to run the ball. That is going to be an emphasis, and I think there will be a lot of play action, a lot of heavy play action. And um, a lot of just trying to simplify the game for our G3. So he's not just dropping back to pass and trying to read all these exotic coverages that are out there, try to run the ball, try to keep the offense on schedule and get into third and manageable and then, you know, go from there. But I think that's going to be a lot of it. I think Hugh Jackson is going to tell our G3, you know, when you see man-to-man coverage, Use those legs. That's a big key, I think, for athletic quarterbacks is against man-to-man. When you see those DBs turn, you take off and run. Uh, Take what the defense gives you. He's a dynamic athlete. Obviously, he has to protect himself like we talked about. Um, Some other things, I think you're going to see Terrell Pryor moved all around, or actually just all the receivers in general, I should say. I think you'll see Duke Johnson. He'll motion out of the backfield. You'll see him and Crowell playing together Um, at times. I think you'll see... Corey Coleman, he'll play in the slot. He'll play outside. I think you could say the same thing about about Pryor and Gordon as well. Uh, this preseason, when they were on the field together a few times, I saw Coleman in the slot, which um, I actually wasn't expecting that, to be honest. I thought it would be Pryor, but it's a long way to go until Gordon comes back. So we'll see how it is uh, when he's back on the field. And I'm sure that they'll mix and match with those guys. But, um, yeah, I think it'll be a heavy – run emphasis but there will be a lot of deep concepts 
a lot of deep drops and a lot of play action. And one of the things that, that Jackson has stressed is what, a, what an athletic workout Griffin presented to him. And so I think what we're going to see is um, a, a little more than you would have seen in Cincinnati with Dalton, because you did see it from time to time uh, where they use him to, to boot it out and you sort of, Mm-hmm. You know, you narrow the field down to one side or another and, and you sort of spread a coverage out that way and, and you give a guy a defined, not, not necessarily a totally defined read, but a largely defined read. And it puts him in a position to make comfortable decisions to either throw the ball, pull it down and get as much as you can with it or just get rid of it. And so far, I actually feel like Griffin has done a really good job of all those things. He's thrown the ball away where it's been appropriate for the most part. He has done an excellent job. Um, getting himself out of harm's way when he's on the run. I do think, you know, we saw in that last preseason game, or I guess it was the the uh, the Tampa preseason game where he got sacked so much. But to me, part of that was after Thomas came out, and part of it was just, like you said, they're running deep developing concepts, and, and quite frankly, there were times when he didn't... He, and again, I'm I'm... I'm analyzing it from a layman's perspective and without the benefit of knowing exactly what's being called and what the coaching staff is emphasizing for the preseason purposes. But there were times where it appeared to me that he did not do a great job identifying additional pressure and getting the, the protection switched up. And, and I do think that's something where you'll see, I hope, because I've seen Hugh Jackson do it with other quarterbacks, you'll see over the course of a season, I hope that that improves somewhat. So I, I'm I'm really... I won't go so far as to say I'm optimistic about the offense, but I think, number one, they've got infinitely more playmakers than they used to have. And number two, um, I, I really do feel like the offensive line, as you said, is going to be just fine. I think they'll be better than a lot of people have given them credit for. I actually, I think four of those guys are, or at least three of them are really good players. I love what I've seen from Irving so far. I'm perfectly fine with him going into the season. And uh, we'll have to see how Pastor holds up in pass protection, but by and large, he's been quite solid in the run game. So I, I look forward to what the offense is going to do. Uh, I look less forward to what the defense is not going to do. It, it looks, again, like the defense is going to have some of the same struggles. I do like that, number one, they infused that front seven with some more athleticism and beef and playmaking ability. And uh, and I like that they're going young, by and large. I'm scared to death of the back end on the whole, I really do like the young safeties, but I don't think either of them is a free safety, either Kindred or Campbell, really. Um, but both guys will both guys will be assets in a box. Both guys will hit you. Um, Campbell, in particular, is a fantastic tackler, and and they've needed both of those things on the back end to me. So I like that, but I think there are going to be some growing pains for both guys on the back end when people are going over the top of them. And I really think that the corner position to me looks awfully awfully thin. Talk to me about the defense. What's your sort of general feel for it? And if there are any strengths, what do you see them as? Uh, the first thing that I expect from the defense is I expect a lot of exotic pressure packages drawn up by Ray Horton. I think that's going to be kind of just the Browns philosophy as a whole is they're going to try to get up on people and they're going to try to pressure the quarterback. I mean, that's, that's the way it's going to be. They're going to try to score points on offense, and their defense has to be able to complement that because, like I said, if they get behind, I, I just don't see this team stopping the run at all. Um, I think the defensive line, there's there's young talent. I like I still like Danny Shelton's 
potential. He's been up and down to this point, had some issues with his pad level, technique. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing him in year two. He's slimmed down. Hopefully that helps him. Um, I'm excited about Carl Nassib and Emmanuel Ogba. I thought they both really showed some very good things in the preseason. I'm very excited to see them uh, when the games count. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they use Steven Paya because they just picked him up. I expect them to use him uh, a lot of three technique, him and John Hughes probably in that position. Um, I think five technique, uh, you know, like I, I said, massive. I'm excited about him, but I'm concerned about his ability to stop the run consistently. Him and Xavier Cooper, I'm not – I'm not sold on Xavier Cooper at this point, especially his ability to stop the run. Um, Nassib's a rookie. I think it's going to take some time with his ability to stop the run. I like him as a rusher, though. So that's a work in progress. Um, I think inside linebacker, Demario Davis, we'll see. Um, and then Christian Kirksey, I really like him as a cover player. I think he's a good pass rusher as well. So on some of those blitzes, I think he'll be able to He'll put up some sacks this year as well, maybe three or four sacks, but I'm still not sold on Kirksey as a run defender. I just, I don't, uh, he still is raw in that position, in my opinion. I mean, coming out of Iowa, he played a position that was completely different from that. And, uh, you know, he was on the line and this is his, this is third or fourth year. I think this is his third year now. And he's just still, I think he has a ways to go and, and we'll see on him. Um, outside linebacker, Nate Orchard, I think he's he's a solid player. I don't think he's ever going to be the pass rusher that he his numbers build him up to be in college and all that, but I think he's a solid Sam linebacker in this defense. You know, he'll line up over the tight end. He'll Hopefully he can set the edge well and um, just make enough plays as a pass rusher. And then I am excited about Ogba, like I said. Um, on the other outside linebacker spot, I think, I mean, he's just a great athlete. Unbelievable um, athlete, isn't he? I mean, yeah. th- this preseason, the things that I saw him do just in terms of movement and in terms of pursuit of the football, like when the ball's not near him, that guy's getting yeah. after it. He is not sitting around waiting. He's He's running it down, which I really love, and he's capable of doing it. So I think once he hopefully, learns a few things about the pass rush technique-wise, you're going to see him get to some quarterbacks, and, and he'll mm-hmm. he'll keep pursuit. He'll maintain pursuit, which to me is really important in this league because guys are going to get free. Guys are going to be looking to make plays, and, and your big men, and obviously this is a Ray Horton staple, your big men better be able to run. And Ogba and yep. Nassib can both certainly, certainly do that. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting bunch with all these rookies with 13 dudes out there. I mean, which of those rookies, maybe, maybe give me your, I was going to say three, and I guess maybe it's really obvious that it would be the first three picked. So it doesn't have to be those guys. But yeah. um, tell me three guys you think, aside from those three, because I think those guys are going to get a chance to really play. Maybe a couple of the other rookies that you expect to make a genuine impact this year. I mean, for me, it, we're going to see some Peyton and we're going to see some Higgins, but... I, I would assume that the team would hope that they are mostly depth at least this season. But I think if they aren't, both guys are not rookies in the sense that they're not so raw that they can't they can't play. They both know route trees. They both Peyton in particular is a fantastic blocker. He's super physical. So I think you can get those guys on the field in meaningful spots, and they're going to contribute. 
Um, and on defense, I guess I feel like I, I, I don't know how Schobert isn't going to be an important part of the linebacker rotation. Yeah. Um, so a couple guys that I like, the rookies, aside from those top three picks, because those would be my three. I'm going to say Derek Kendred. I just really like what I saw from him in the preseason. He's he a very physical He'll player. You. He'll hit you. I yeah, like that. Yeah, he hits. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure that he can't play some free safety. I mean, I think in today's NFL, the safeties have to be interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And you don't always need a guy back there like Earl Thomas. I think no, I agree. And you can in in the red zone in particular. I think he's perfect for it. Yeah, yeah. I I just really think that you can get by with two safeties like Campbell, like Kendrick, as long as they're instinctive, smart players. Uh, I'm still not sold on Jordan Poyer. Um, this is kind of kind of like Kirksey. You know, I I like him as a cover player for the most part, but just I'm still not sold on his ability to consistently tackle and bring people down after the catch. And you really need that from your safeties. I mean, if you're on the back end, you've got to be able to tackle because especially with these corners, which um, which I didn't get to hit on. But, yeah, like you said, the corners are weak this year. And I Feel expect a lot now. of – Feel free now. Jump yeah, on the corners real of, quick. Yeah, a lot of receptions. Uh, Joe Hayden has to be a playmaker. I mean, he has to take the other team's top guy away. Like he – did a few years ago, you know, when he was actually back when, with Ray Horton the last time, his first time he went to the Pro Bowl. I think that was probably um, probably his best season that I can remember. And they need that kind of play from him. They need him to be able to take away the top guy because if he can't, then I think teams are going to have a pretty easy time throwing the ball. And we already mentioned the fact that I, I just don't believe they're going to be able to stop the run. Uh, yeah, so – Back to my original point, I like Derek Kindred. I'd like to see him get some extra playing time with the starters, and we'll see how that all shakes out because in today's NFL, a lot of teams go big nickel. They play three safeties, um, so you just never know. He might be on the field a ton with the starters. Um, the other guy I'm going to mention is Joe Schobert. Um, I just I like the dude. He hustles. He's, he's an athletic player. He was very productive at Wisconsin, and while he is playing outside linebacker at this point i think he's the type of player that could project inside down the road i'm I'm actually really surprised that he's not there already Uh, that's where i assumed when they drafted him that they'd be putting him Mm -hmm. yeah because he he strikes me as a guy that while he is a, a good pass rusher off the edge i think that he could be so productive on the interior blitzes just blitzing through the a gap the b gap um very quick straight line burst you know closing in on the quarterback and I, that was really how I envisioned Horton viewing him as as a linebacker but I'm excited and I think both those guys are going to be big time special teams contributors and another guy that that uh, we didn't touch on yet but he was a fourth round pick and a lot of people were surprised he went that high but I think Ricardo Lewis when he gets healthy I think he'll have a major impact on special teams um, because I don't I don't look at uh, many of the other receivers and think, oh, that guy is going to be a great special teamer. Well, Lewis, Lewis is and that guy's a great yeah. athlete, yeah. and I think he'll get down the field and he'll create some plays on special teams this year. He might not be as high on the depth chart as the other guys just because he's not as polished, but he's, no, he, he's, he's a high he's, upside player, and yeah. I think maybe he's in the running for a gunner spot on punts or 
some something of that sort. But I think he'll be a playmaker on special teams. Yeah, I think he's going to get limited offensive opportunities, and when he gets them, they're going to be chances to run nine routes. Basically, it's going to be. You know, it's going to be a lot like what the Steelers have done in the early going, what they did with Martavis his first year, what they, you know, where they just say, you're going to come in and you're going to be our deep ball specialist. Not that the Browns don't have several all of a sudden, but I think when they drafted Lewis, that's what they envisioned, at least for year one, while they taught him up. And, and you know, one of the things that I think has mm. gone sort of underreported around this team is the veteran coaching in a number of spots that some of these guys are going to get. And I don't think there's a better example of it than the wide receiver position. I mean, Al Saunders, you talk about a coach that has had a preposterous amount of success and really coached a lot of great players in the NFL. There aren't a lot of them with lists better than Al Saunders. And, and I think we saw evidence of it already in the preseason. I mean, the kind of development that Terrell Pryor has one year over the next the way that Coleman was able to ease into camp and start making plays, although we didn't get to see it really on the preseason, uh, the actual game field. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, and, and some of these young kids who I knew came in with skills, but it was nice to see them walk in. And, and Higgins and Peyton, though the opportunities were li- uh, limited in the preseason, I thought each of them uh, did a reasonably nice job in the time that I got to, you know, I watched it, rewound it, and saw it a few different times. So I felt like, in terms of improving a position group, you can't do a lot better than they did this off season, both from a coaching and a personnel standpoint. And so I'm, I'm most probably excited about that aspect of what the team did in terms of team building this year, because it had been so long that we've been talking about how few playmakers they had and how hard that really makes it on an offense when you have to grind out three, four, five yards at a time and you don't have somebody you can just say, screw it, and throw it to. Well, now they have three or four of those guys. And that's, uh, to me, that's inordinately important at this day and age in the NFL. And I guess the reason, to me, it's part of the evolution of where the game has gone. We've been talking about here and then Sen and I on the Football Sickness podcast for years now about the progression of the game toward hybridized athletic players at literally every position. And I think... I I mean, I don't mean to be too arrogant about it, but I think the Browns sort of see it the same way if you look at what they did in terms of drafting, in terms of adding players. And we haven't even discussed, and I don't know how much you know about Tyrone Holmes, but everybody in Jacksonville that I know is completely up in arms that the Jags let this guy go. Uh, He was out of Montana, and I think he had 16 sacks last year or something, led his... Uh, led his level in sacks and and might be the Browns' most natural edge rusher coming into the season. And so they've added guys that are big, strong, fast athletes at all sorts of positions. And I think when you look along the offensive line and you know what Hugh has done in terms of creativity and getting his guys out running, that's going to come into play. I think on the defensive side of the ball, when you know you're not going to cover great and you're going to be playing a lot of great pass offenses, that's going to come into play in terms of, you know, scheming up creative pressure packages. And I'm I'm mostly excited that they've infused the roster with a ton of athleticism slash playmaking ability. And it looks like, based on the way they composed the roster, that they intend to more or less set those guys loose and hope that that will keep them competitive in games and maybe even allow them to sneak a few more wins out than most people expect them to do. Yeah, I agree. Up and down uh, the roster, you've seen a big infusion of youth and athletic ability. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about Ricardo Lewis, actually, was I just I remember watching him at Auburn 
and it was a lot of nine routes, like you said, but some other stuff that they would do is they would run the ball with him a good amount. They would run jet sweeps with him. Uh, they might, I think, I mean, Gus Malzahn is a big fan of the buck sweep. I think they might've ran that with him at, at times, but they love running that uh, where they'll just put that guy and jet him and then run back the other way. He was that guy in their offense. They always have that fast guy and he is very hard to tackle. So I could see Hugh yeah. Jackson getting the guy some screens, getting him some jet sweeps here and there, just because he's such an a- athletic guy and he's so big and hard to bring down. Um, and then you mentioned the uh, the guys that they claimed on waivers. The guy that stood out to me was George Atkinson the third. He had a big preseason for the Raiders. Um, you mentioned the Jaguar fans being upset about Holmes. I think a lot of Raiders fans were upset that they let go of him. Um, at this point, I'm expecting him to actually return kickoffs on opening day. And oh, yeah. I think he could be a playmaker. I assume that's the number one reason they got him. I mean, he's, he's okay as a running back, but as a returner, he's pretty darn good. And, yeah. and, and that, that was my understanding as to why they claimed him. And, and ultimately, I think that led to uh, Mostert, his, his exit. And again, though, it goes to, you could, if there's one thing we can say, it's that Hugh Jackson believes in big guys beating up little guys, right? I mean, it, you, you look across the board, he cut all the little guys. It, on offense at the receiver position, Gabriel, I mean, you've still got Hawkins. Besides because, Hawkins. Well, but Hawkins is a slot specialist, and a lot of those mm-hmm. guys do tend to be small. And I think it really remains to be seen exactly how much Hawkins is the slot specialist. Like you said, all of a sudden come week five, you've got Gordon and Coleman and Pryor. I think Hawkins might have a tougher time finding the field once that's the case, assuming, of course, that they don't go and deal Josh Gordon in the interim. I think there's still room for us to consider that possibility. But for now, let's. For, I certainly hope they keep him because I just think he's too talented to possibly extract value for him at this juncture and given all the issues that he faces – I'd rather just take the gamble that he pulls his head out of his ass and puts it all together and becomes an all-pro wide receiver year in and year out because I'd rather he did it here than anywhere else. And uh, so far, at least, it looks like that's what they're doing. Uh, Before we go and before we get to the prediction of uh, the season and the week, I do have to ask you, since we both have put in more than enough time on it, how bummed are we that Mingo's gone? Uh... At this point, I was—I I didn't think he'd make the team. Yeah. So I don't think he was going to. You know, nor, like, nor was Gilbert, obviously. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's disappointing that his career has gone this way. But I, uh, just as a fan of the player coming out of college, I'm looking forward to seeing what Bill Belichick does with him in New England. And I was excited about the Browns just getting at least you know a fifth round pick for him and, and a sixth for Gilbert. I mean, that's not a lot, but. Those picks, they add up over time. It helps you do creative trades. Exactly. It helps you do creative trades down the road. Um, We also, we didn't talk about this, and I know it's a boring position, but, I mean, they traded their 34-year-old punter for a fourth-round pick, and then they got Britton Colquitt, who a lot of of people think is better than Andy Lee. So that's pretty incredible in my opinion. I think pretty highly of Andy Lee. I think he's great. But in terms of what they did – even if I loved Andy Lee better than any punter in the history of the game, to get a fourth rounder for him at this juncture being the Browns and then replace him with Colquitt, I don't think you can do any better than that. I mean, you're not the delta between Colquitt, Colquitt and Lee for a team like this is is nothing. And to get a fourth round pick yep. and to replace him with 
someone eminently competent slash really good in Colquitt, to me, um, look, the punter position matters on this team. If you believe that they're trying to win, punting is going to matter because this is not a team that's going to shut people out. Uh, but it got kind of ugly pretty quickly once they let Lego, those two guys they had trying out for that spot. And I'm, I'm pleased that they were able to go out and add a vet of such competence like Colquitt. So, and I really feel like on the whole, the regime has done an excellent job of putting together a roster that can compete. I think they're going to lose most of their games, but I think they're going to do it in a much more competitive fashion than they did say last year when, there were times when they looked okay, but you never really felt like this team could jump up and whoop somebody. I actually think this team could jump up and whoop somebody if the team wasn't careful about it. You know, there are a bunch of guys here on the offensive side of the ball that can score. There are a bunch of guys on the defensive side of the ball that can run. I, I don't think they're going to be very good on defense, so let me be ultra clear about that. Uh, but they're going to tackle better. They're going to be better schemed. And uh, they've got a little more, I think, talent and athleticism and power. So... Um, I'm looking for, I don't know how much better it's going to show up in the win-loss column, but I think the brand of football we're going to see this season should be a lot better. So with that said, uh, let's not keep rambling. It's been 40 minutes, so I do want to give the people a chance to eke out of the room. But as we edge into the season, give give me your views on sort of where the season unfolds and what the record might look like at the end, and wrap it up with a nice prediction for a Browns win against the Eagles this Sunday in Philadelphia. Okay, I think I think the big overview for the season is really to focus on one RG three. I think his development it's crucial because that's going forward that's going to decide whether they need to look to the quarterback position early in next year's draft. So that is huge. Um, also, all these young guys. I mean, they have the second youngest roster in the NFL behind the Rams and. Um, it's very important that those young players get better. I think that was something we didn't see the past two years under Mike's, Mike Pettin's staff. God, we really amen. didn't see guys. Yeah, we didn't really see guys progress, and that's coaching. And I remember hearing a lot of stuff about how it was like amateur hour with that coaching staff and everything. And I think that's changed now. I think I think it's different. I don't I don't think it's that way. And that's why you know you were just talking about the defense. I don't think the defense is going to be as bad as last year because last year we saw a lot of vets that were not bought in at all. They were all frustrated about what their, you know, sort of situation, the way they were being used, the way they were coached, all these different things. They were all upset. And I think that just led to a big dysfunctional mess. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. They might be short on talent, but I think the coaching and the buy-in that, that goes a long way, especially at that level where there's so many players that are, kind of on the same talent level across the league. So I think the defense will be better. Um, so, yeah, focus on the young players. Um, I also think just focusing on – I think the run game is another thing that we really need to focus on because uh, while Crowell and Duke fall into this you know, young talent deal, I think that's very important because if the running game isn't good enough this year – I expect a high running back pick next year. That That is another position where uh, in this upcoming draft, there's going to be a lot of talented running backs. Uh, you could just go down the list, you know, Fournette, McCaffrey, Cook, uh, the guy from Oregon, Chubb, down the list. 
Perrine from Oklahoma. I mean, there's just a ton of running backs in next year's draft. So that's another position where looking to the future, I think if, if Crowell can't get it done as a lead back and Duke looks like only a change of pace type guy, then they're definitely going to address that spot in the draft, I expect. Um, as for a prediction, what did you ask for? Did you ask for a season? or Yeah, give me, give me your thoughts it? on about where you think they end up this season and then wrap it up with an Eagles prediction. This season, I'm going to say, you know, Hugh got eight wins out of that Oakland team. I don't think it'll be eight wins. This is a really tough division. I'll say between somewhere between five and seven. I'll go there. So between five and seven wins, I think this will be a more competitive team than last year. Much more competitive, I should say. I think the team will have an easier time scoring points, but I just think teams are going to still be able to run on them, be able to get up on them, and they'll just have trouble staying in games with the defense. Um, This weekend, I actually feel pretty good about it, honestly. I don't think that highly of the Eagles. I I think uh, Jim Schwartz will get their defense playing well, but, but I feel good about Hugh Jackson with this offense. So I think it'll be a pretty competitive game. I think that when the Eagles offense is on the field against the Browns defense, it'll be pretty poor all around. We'll probably see you know, a lot of incomplete passes, a lot of bad, you know, a lot of bad quarterback play, but then a lot of missed tackles also. So I think both ways it'll be bad. I'll say, uh, I'll say Browns win 17 to 14. Wow. Pretty low scoring. Pretty low scoring. I think it's going to be a little more than that, but uh, I'm going to take the Browns, obviously, that being our duty here on the Browns Note Podcast. But, man, it is good to have the season rolling in and good to talk to you again about some good old-fashioned Browns football, and I look forward yeah. to doing it on a weekly basis as we move forward on this season. You know, it's uh, <laughs> we've been doing this for a few years now, man. It would sure be nice to have one season where it didn't feel over in early September <laughs> and feel yeah. like the team was worth watching and a little bit of fun. So I, I look forward to hopefully enjoying what uh, what we will someday look back on as the turn of a, a relatively large corner in this organization's history with the onset of the Hugh Jackson, Sashi Brown, Paul D. Podesta, Andrew Barry era. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this group has their act together. So far, I'm pretty impressed with the way they've conducted the plan, and we'll just have to wait and see how it all shakes out and, of course, whether Mr. Haslam has the patience to let it. So with that, let's, uh, let's wrap up this particular segment. Brendan, always good to talk to you, man. Please follow my friend Brendan Leister at Brendan Leister on Twitter. You can find him from time to time contributing on the OBR, the Orange and Brown Report, which is Scout.com's excellent Brown site. And uh, we will be back next week, of course. Brendan, good talking to you, man. Talk to you soon. Yep, take care, man. All right, excited to be joined again. It's been a, been a few months uh, as the season gets going here. Joined by Pete Smith, who you can find at Draft Breakdown and, of course, at NFL Spin Zone doing his work of all kinds, of course. And then there is, uh, there's always Browns-related material coming out of Pete's Twitter account, which you should find at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Pete, good to talk to you again, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Ready for another season and, uh, you know, ready for the sponsors to just come screaming into this podcast. <laughs> they are undoubtedly going to be lined up around the block once they 
deter- determine that we've got uh, more listeners than all Browns-related podcasts combined, uh, which will be shortly, no doubt. Uh, I've noticed in the first, you know, the, the early goings of this regime that uh, y- y- I don't want to mischaracterize your position, but suffice it to say that at least with respect to the product we're going to find on the field this year, um, <laughs> I think everybody's basically negative about it, but you view it as almost philosophically bad. Why don't you tell me sort of from a broad standpoint what you're seeing um, trends-wise and position-wise and personnel-wise from from the team, and then we'll start you know digging down into it on a more specific basis. Well, I think this this regime has sort of decided that the offensive side of the ball has, has some stuff that can work. Uh, they have some talent. Obviously, they brought in RG3. They've got Terrell Pryor, who's been a, you know, a pleasant surprise. They've got Josh Gordon, who they seem to be sticking with. They've got all these these guys on offense. They've got a pretty good offensive line, at least theoretically, uh, that they can score some points. On the defensive side of the ball, they've got what, to me, look like the, the Philadelphia 76ers, where they've basically gotten rid of most everything that, that wasn't nailed down, save Joe Hayden, uh, and are extraordinarily young, which is, by the way, I'm all for. Uh, but you know, they you can't conceivably make the argument that this is the you know the best 53 or the best 11 on that side of the ball or whatever. Uh, you know, they've got just a bunch of super young players. They hope they grow, but at the same time, they are going to give up an obscene amount of points. Uh, and and you know, this is sort of a sink or swim mentality with this this group hoping to get some of these guys to become uh, players. But, I mean, there's just there's nothing there good. It's all, I hope these guys get develops into a, a nice player going forward. But between guys that probably, you know, might have a future and guys who don't, that will inevitably be replaced, I think that the, 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 the tone of this is bigger the better. Hopefully they work, and if, if they don't, are expecting to be bad. Not that they aren't going to coach hard, not that they aren't going to, you know, give effort on Sundays, but the idea is that this team is going to lose bottom out and they want to maximize those draft picks they have. Well, and, and clearly they intend to stick with the plan as, as anyone who can even take even a, you know, a quick perusal of the 53 man roster. And granted, there's still a chance that it'll be tweaked a little bit in the next couple of days leading up to game one. There's just no way around it, but that that was the plan. They drafted 14 guys, and at least as of today, which is Monday, Labor Day, 13 of those guys are on the 53. And I think that you can probably set your clock to this time next year and expect however many guys they end up actually drafting out of the 257 draft picks they've compiled for 2017. Almost all of those guys will make this team as well, which leads me to the conclusion, and it's the logical one, of course, that what Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown and Paul DeBodesta and Andrew Barry and everybody else who had a word in an interview with the Cleveland Browns ownership this offseason said to them, you guys need almost an entirely new team. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that that's the case, and... If you're going to have a youth movement, youth movement, and if you're going to have some patience, it makes sense to do as much of it as soon as possible, assuming that you're drafting guys that you actually like, which, if you don't, one wonders why you're drafting them in the first place. And I think, to me, 
that speaks to all the guys that they kept that people were talking about maybe being on the bubble. The wide receivers, of course, came up a lot. Uh, some of the some of the guys like Schobert or Scooby Wright, you start looking at it and you figure this team, obvi- or at least the you know the hierarchy of it, obviously number one trusts their own evaluation better than those of their predecessors, uh, and number two. They want to get these young guys in and on the field. If you're going to draft them, get them on the field, especially at this juncture in the, what I guess we'll call a rebuild, um, get them on the field, get them learning. And and while that may not apply as easily to quarterback as it does all the other positions, it seems pretty obvious, they're going to be, have, they're going to be dealing with mistakes of inexperience first and foremost this season. There's that. There's There's an element of... These guys don't know bad habits, so they have nothing to sort of forget from the past regime where they, you know, basically knock down the scaffolding of the team from previous regime uh, to to build. I mean, like I said, I'm all for it. I love the fact that they kept all four receivers, even though I don't know if Ricardo Lewis is ever going to be a, a player. But, I mean, if you're telling me that that you're going to bottom out, what do you need to keep a bunch of veterans for – uh, you know, if if you believe in your your structure, your coaching staff, if you believe in 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 what you're trying to do, let's you know let's really go after it. Don't you know? Don't take half measures. Personally, I would have cut Ramon Williams, but that that's the my mindset. They've got, I believe, 17 rookies uh, somewhere in that neighborhood on the team right now. Plus, they got some guys on the practice squad. I'm happy about. Uh, I mean, there's stuff I, we can always quibble with, and and we'll see what works and what doesn't. But I mean, let's let's embrace the fact that, that this team uh, is not it, it has a plan. Let's hope this is the one that works, uh, but let's not pretend it's it's something it isn't. Yeah, and and obviously, any plan is going to require more patience from Jimmy Haslam than we have yet seen to date. So there is always that sort of boogeyman lingering in the back of my mind. But I do have a, a I guess, a, a hopeful sense that he's at least committed himself to this version of the project. And I, I think, quite frankly, um, he was able to acquire some people in the front office and to hire Hugh Jackson only because they were convinced that he would have that kind of patience this time. And, and at the same time, it shows that, you know, Though there's patience to be gleaned from the ownership side, I think when you look at what the the front office and the coaching staff have done here with this first roster switch, is said that they don't intend to have any at all. Um, they're in a hurry to get change brought through, and I think, like you say, some of that is simply a a culture shift that new groups often want to want to affect, but sometimes toe the line between. Well, like you're saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna be bad, let's let's be bad in the name of developing our young talent as opposed to just be bad because we're going to be bad. And so it looks to me like that's what they've done. And while I think it would be almost natural to start with the offense, given Hugh Jackson's influence and given some of the recent personnel shifts, I'm frankly more interested, at least for the moment to talk to you about the defensive side of the ball. So let's start with that. Uh, and really, this has gotten even more interesting to me over the past couple of days with trades, cuts, and the signing of guys that had been waived elsewhere. Of course, I'm talking about a Stephen Paya. I'm talking about what they did trading Justin Gilbert to the Pittsburgh Steelers and, of course, releasing Pierre Desir. I know you and I have had some discussion about that. Um, 
and I know you were certainly, or at least at some point, you were skeptical that Scooby Wright was going to be able to make the team. And I think, I think we would agree precisely on how it is that he, at least to this point, has. Um, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Let's work from the back forward because, frankly, I'm most excited about some of the changes up front. I'm most, I guess, quizzical would be the word I would use about everything that's going on on the back end with the exception of one thing. I like what they did on at the safety position, which is to say, at least from my vantage point, the, vet, the veteran guys that we have here, the Raheem Moores and whatnot, are not going to be the difference between us winning and losing too many games. We've drafted some young guys that, while they probably have areas of development that are going to hurt us at some point this season, or perhaps at numerous points this season, these are guys that A, play really physical football, B, wrap up as tacklers, which to me, I mean, you can only, you don't have to look too far back to know why that's an issue. And then the other part is these are young guys who at least the organization over the past year or two has decided they liked, and they're going to give them a chance to show that there was a reason. I think it was interesting that they got rid of Raheem Moore. Uh, I mean, if you go by preseason, he was invisible. He didn't do anything. So uh, it's a seemingly smart decision. It just leaves them with three safeties and Don Jones, who is more of a special teams guy. I'm really excited about Ibrahim Campbell. And even though he doesn't suggest it for preseason as far as making plays, he is literally the guy who cleans up all the messes in terms of uh, any time a play sort of got loose, he's the guy coming up, making the right tackle. And, and from what I've seen, it's not even close. He's the best tackler on the team as far as reliability, wrapping up and driving guys to the ground. Uh, Kindred's interesting. I, I, I like what he can do. I'm sort of curious to see if, if you know, if, Poyer's really what they want or if they're just sort of going with him and, and we're going to see more uh, of Kindred sort of slide in. I don't think he's a free safety. I don't really think either of them is a free safety, but certainly they can do stuff as far as man coverage and, and being physical. But, you know, those those three guys can actually seem to be pretty reliable as to what their job is, uh, which is which is, is, is going to be important considering what's going on in, in the group near them, uh, that corner group, which is terrifying. <laughs> and that's where we're going next. As I say, there was a great deal of change at the corner position this offseason, and a lot of it here in the last few days. Pierre Desir is gone. Um, Justin Gilbert gone for sixth-round pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And obviously, if they're trading a former number one draft pick corner, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have decided that said corner is absolute trash. And so it'll be curious to see, or interesting to see, whether the Steelers can make anything of them. I know, you know, you get a lot of those silent quotes from people who say that the Browns think the Steelers are completely high if they think they can make anything of him. Uh, let's just say I have a lot more faith in the Steelers than I do the Browns, but we'll, we'll wait and see. I don't, I don't think that the Justin Gilbert thing is going to come back to bite them, but you never know. Uh, but the more important question all of a sudden becomes, what do the corner positions look like for the Browns? Because we still haven't seen Joe Hayden back. We don't know what Joe Hayden we're getting back. And then, of course, as you said, there's Tremont Williams and there's Jamar Taylor. And after that, it's guys I don't really know. And I suspect it's going to be a season worth of, you know, sort of early Pete Carroll Seahawks years where they're just cycling through available personnel to see if they can find anybody who sticks until they get into the business of really addressing that position next year. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And and it's not entirely clear 
you know, what they're going to roll with that on Sunday. Who's going to take the first rep? Is it going to be Jamal Williams or are they going to go with Jamar Taylor on the outside? I mean, seemingly the best bet would be Jamal Williams on the outside and, and Jamar Taylor in the slot. But then adding Burley off waivers, which I thought was a good pickup, uh, he can come in and play the slot if they want to put Jamar Taylor on the outside. He's credible. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's interesting, but I mean, overall, you know, there was a lot of talk about how good Jamar Taylor was because he was making plays on the ball. Well, he was targeted all the time, every preseason game. Nobody's afraid to throw at him. Uh, and he gave up more than a few plays too. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's a little scary from that standpoint. And then you mentioned Hayden, uh, you know, what is he now? What is he going to be? Is he truly dedicated to becoming, you know, the, the Pro Bowl caliber player he was, you know, or does he sort of see the writing on the wall, at least for this season, and, and think it's more about protecting himself and that type of stuff? So I'll be curious to see where that goes. But, you know, if you look, talk about Justin Gilbert, I think that that's a reminder to, to Jimmy Haslam that doing it your way, uh, the, the irrational approach, trying to get results instantly, your 2014 first round is gone. And it's 2016 the season hasn't even started yet. So, I mean, that's that, that's got to be a sobering smack in the face for, for Jimmy Haslam. Oh, you would think. And it's not like you look back beyond 14 and it's any better. All those first-round picks the Browns have had over the last, you know, half a decade are all gone. And so it's – and they've had more than one more than once. So it's uh, – it is not – a a flowery past when you look back on what the Browns have achieved in the draft. Of course, most of that rendered irrelevant because you're now led by completely different people and we have to at least give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise and we'll see what happens there. Uh, But it does get frustrating having to redo it over and over and over again. And so it's, it's, uh, it's at least fun to hope for a little while that this group will be the one that gets it right. When you look at the corners, uh, here's what, where I'm concerned, obviously on the back end uh, of the, of the depth, when you start getting into your fourth and fifth corners, it's going to be cause for concern no matter what. But um, I I look around the division. I look at the Browns schedule this year. Seems to me corner is going to get tested all year long. And maybe that truly is just the nature of the NFL these days. That's probably the more accurate, accurate way to state it. But let's even assume for a moment that Hayden is Hayden, at least as we remember him. If he gets hurt again, they're in deep, deep trouble. Oh, it's 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 just a free for all at that point, and and you've got the, the problem you're running into is is you play teams this year that that have more than one good receiver. I mean, but even if Hayden's a lockdown great corner, which he's never really been, let's just say he's he's peak Hayden, and we play the Washington Redskins, who have Pierre Garcon and Deshaun Jackson. He can't guard both of them. Well, and let's say Somebody Josh Dawson gets healthy. I mean, they're, well, yeah, right, they're... right, right, and he struggled against Antonio Brown who we play twice a year. So you've got, you know, another guy who could just go off. So, I mean, it's going to be, it's just going to be a a, a problem that doesn't go away this year. And I I think it's going to go from bad to worse. Yeah. I I think that's just one of those areas where they decided they're going to do the best they can this year and they'll go after it again next year. I mean, you can't plug every hole in one off season as we've come accustomed to saying in off seasons around the Cleveland Browns. Moving forward on the defense, that front seven, you know, it's, it's still going to be problematic in a lot of ways, I think. But there are, there are more athletes, in my view. There are, you know, the, the two picks, obviously, up towards the top of the draft with 
with Ogba and Nassib. We talked about it at the time. I'm, I remain pretty excited about these two guys, and, and if there's one thing I would note from the defense from the preseason, it's this. Those two guys, if nothing else, have good motors. They're active. They are relentless in getting after where the football is. Nassib, to me, looked like a guy who's going to be ready to play. I mean, Ogba will be playing, A, by necessity, and B, by the demand of his own development, but... I actually think Nassib is ready to do some really productive things. I don't mean he's going to lead the league in sacks or anything like that, but I think he does give you a viable presence at that position. And of course, they added Paya this week. Danny Shelton's still a work in progress. Uh, and, and some of the middle linebackers, it's going to be even more interesting to me to see kind of how that mix works out. Kirksey is another one of the guys that I like as a tackler in this group. He's a little undersized for me to be taking on that thumper role, but I don't necessarily expect that that's what they want him to do. Demorio Davis, obviously, just to me, sort of a veteran leadership kind of guy. Uh, and Schobert, your guy Schobert. So tell me about, let, let's talk linebackers first before we get up to those ends, but tell me about the linebackers and are we going to get any kind of pass rush out of those guys outside of, um, you know, sort of scheming it, I guess is the way I'd put it. Is there anybody in that group on the outside who's just a natural get around the edge, sack the quarterback kind of guy? So the guy that's probably the best to, to step in and do that right now is the guy that got off waivers, which yeah. is Holmes from, from Jacksonville in terms of a guy who just, you know, has that ability uh, right off the bus. I, you know, I love Schobert. I just don't love him as an outside linebacker. I don't think he's got anything that like screams, you know, an advantage as far as, as getting around to tackle and, and, and uh, you know, beating the quarterback in Ogba. I think Ogba is going to be sort of a roller coaster ride. There are times where he's going to be uh, brilliant in times where he's going to make you scratch your head because he just doesn't know uh, what he's doing and, and doesn't know what he's doing consistently in terms of his pad level or, or he might be slow to diagnose and attack or, or whatever it is. But every white guy cliche you can, you can assign to Carl Nassib, Ogba absolutely warrants in terms of just sheer – relentless attacking. He just never gives up. And then the one time you saw him in preseason where he had a chance to run in a straight line, terrifying to see a 270 pound man run that fast. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot to like about Agba physically, but it's going to be, you know, an issue and hopefully something he grows into. And, and, you know, over the course of the season, you started clicking it more and more and more naturally. And, the, and in addition to just the sheer amount of reps, those guys are taking God, I hope they can stay healthy so they can absorb all of them and, and really make the most of it. Cause that's the, that's the stuff that sort of worries me is, is, you know, all these reps can be great for these guys in terms of getting, getting them to really grow and take another step. The problem becomes if, if, you know, a guy like Carl Nassib gets hurt, uh, a guy like Agba gets hurt, then you're suddenly down, uh, you know, these guys and there's nothing behind them that's really, uh, you're just throwing in more rookies off the street, which is, becomes scary, and then it, it becomes sort of a, a revolving door of crap uh, as opposed to genuinely trying to develop young players who can get better. And so I guess what I'd ask is, you know, they're going to have different groupings of uh, obviously defense is becoming more and more hybridized, a lot like offenses are, and the more athletes you can have that can do more things, the better off you're going to be. Um, but the bugaboo that has raised its head for, I don't know, 
16 years since the Browns came back, we, we've never been able to stop the run. And I don't think it's going to be a lot better this year. But I'm wondering now that we've got an updated personnel grouping, whether you can look at it and go, okay, here's the group that they will throw out there that is best suited to stopping the run. If you had, number one, enough time to digest the new players, but number two, um, opportunity to really think about what that group in obvious run situations is going to look like. Um, they're, they're talking about pie working at nose, which is interesting, but I think if, if I was to try to say we're going to stop the run at third and one or we're near the goal line, it would be pie at the five, which is what he was doing with the Redskins. Uh, either, either Taylor, or I mean, uh, uh, Shelton or meter at nose and then John Hughes at the three. And that, you know, you've got a, a lot of beef up front and, and Shelton's still got to grow and, and, and get more consistent. But those, those guys at least give you a credible front. Uh, and they should be able to protect the backers a little bit. I don't think very highly of Mario Davis, but he's what we got. And I like Chris Kirksey, but he's not quite where he needs to be. Uh, I think he, he's a guy who would be really well-suited to have a stud next to him. And I know some people think he's more of a, a, of a, a nickel player than anything. So, I mean, the, the, in terms of that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough with those inside backers, which is why, you know, some people talk up Scooby Wright as a possibility. I think he's slow. Uh, but the guy I really like out of that group, actually, is 21-year-old Dominique Alexander. And it's just because when he sees it, he just goes and attacks, and he's very uh, aggressive, and I, I like seeing that, so I'll be curious to see if that goes. But, yeah, the, the, those three up front, and then, you know, whoever whoever sort of shakes out of that backer group uh, becomes interesting to see if they can stop the run. And so much of this year just has to be, in terms of stopping the run, just being in the right spots in terms of the gaps and taking care of your responsibility and just doing your job, which is what killed this team last year, they had some guys with talent, and they we, they would just kill themselves by by somebody would miss their gap, whether it be a safety or a backer, or you know a guy couldn't feel the edge or whatever, and it would just you know you'd have ten good guys doing the right thing and one guy wrong, and that's the thing that has to be corrected. And they may not be you know I don't think they'll be a good run stopping team, but just be a credible run stopping team. You're not getting right. gouged constantly. Just at least reduce the amount of pain you're taking each carry. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Just be basically competent. I, I mean, it would have done this team so much good to have been middle of the road against the run as opposed to totally abominable. And and I did notice some things in the preseason where the coordination and the run fits and so on at times looked substantially better than it did last year. Now, will that play out into consistency and ability this off, or this regular season? Who knows? But I, I guess I suspect that it can't get much worse from a coaching standpoint than it did last year. And I know that's my magic phrase to laugh at, which is you can't get worse. It can always get worse. But I do, I do tend to believe that last year the personnel was so badly misaligned with the attempted schemes. And, and I just think everything last year was a mess. And I'm inclined to sort of generally throw it out as an outlier and wait and see what it looks like this year. Now, it may, may be just as bad. Um, and I'm sure we're going to see a great deal of high-risk defensive scheme from 
um, from Ray Horton. I, I think they're going to have to blitz a lot in order to manufacture pressure and in order to attempt to protect, protect what we've already discussed as being a, a pretty weak back end. But uh, one, one way to transition here from the defense to the offense, uh, you started talking about Shelton, how he's still a project in the works, um, as is Cameron Irving across, across the line. Uh, but he's going to have a very big role. He's the starting center. And I personally have been actually pretty encouraged by what I've seen this this preseason. I know you wrote a piece a week or two ago about some things that were becoming more positive than perhaps everybody saw last year. And I keep going back to, wait, this guy was an All-American at left tackle. He was an All-American at center. He was almost everybody's number one center coming out of that draft. He's a superb athlete. And I've seen more than enough evidence that he's got a – bury the guy in front of me attitude even when he doesn't know what he's doing and so you put all that together and you like to think well and this coaching staff will have a better idea of what it's doing in terms of uh, where they're putting him and how they're trying to develop him tell me you know give us the gist for those of us that maybe didn't read the piece and then let's start talking about the offensive line going going out obviously the left side I think most of us are going to feel like is fine but let's start with Irving and then kind of give me your take on where the line is now and how good it can or cannot be over the course of the season from a physical standpoint Cam Irving last year to Cam Irving this year is unrecognizable he went from being a little fat kid to he is now a strong, very athletic center. Uh, doesn't know what he's doing in terms of nuances and some of the small things, and, and you'll see him make mistakes that are just which you just have to uh, ascribe to. He just doesn't know. But my God, he gets after it physically, and when he's right, it can be downright devastating. Uh, some of the combo blocks I've seen him go. Uh, throw with uh, with Greco and, and some of these other things. He's really light on his feet, and it's not difficult to sort of see what teams saw in him last year and why you know the Browns liked him based on on, on what he did coming out of college. Uh, it, so much of it is experience he just doesn't have. The fact that even from college he was not really an barely had been an offensive lineman. I mean, he was, people forget he was recruited to Florida State as a defensive lineman and then got moved over partway through his career, was a tackle that, you know, had no sense of where he was in terms of, uh, you know, angles and, and some of these other things. He'd get just killed out in space to being put at center just to reduce the amount of field he had to work and the amount of space he could work. And all he had to do is, you know, fire off the ball and kill the guy in front of him. So now he's still doing that. But he's, he's, you're starting to see glimmers of his ability to, to fire off, double-team, and get to the next level, and the ability to bury people and dominate guys up front. It, I mean, you can be very excited about what he shows in terms of uh, where this can go. Now it's just got to happen. He needs every rep he can get. And I was actually extremely encouraged uh, with the preseason because – Coming into the season, I was way more excited about Shelton uh, taking a big step than Irving. And at this point, it's not even close. Cam Irving, by a long shot, could be could be very good. And and combined with Antonio, who's an athletic freak, combined with Joe Thomas, who's an athletic freak, suddenly that entire left side of the line is extraordinarily athletic uh, relative to the the offensive line position. And you've got strength uh, in Austin Pastor at right tackle, so you've got sort of what this offensive line is supposed to be in terms of a power 
uh, running football team that is athletic enough to pass protect. Yeah, and, and I mean, it does seem like they ought to feel pretty good about both guards. I know a lot of people are still talking about the internal part of the offensive line, and I just look at it like I actually feel much like you do. I feel really good about where where Irving is, even though I know that he's going to take lumps. Look, he's going to have to block guys like Fletcher Cox, and it's just sometimes he's going to deal with Geno Atkins, and those guys eat up everybody, so they're going to eat up Cameron Irving plenty. Um, but he's going to learn from those processes and hopefully get better over time, which, again, let's re-peg our expectations and our purpose for the season. That's the whole point of what we're dealing with here. I know everybody wants to get into but we're trying to win. And, yes, of course we're trying to win. And I don't think for a second – you and I may disagree on this, Pete. I don't know. Um, but I don't think Hugh Jackson has any intention of tanking. I think he intends to develop his players, and he has uh, a consistency and alignment of belief that it's a good idea to get the young guys out there. But I don't think he's ready to roll over just for a draft pick. And so um, I, I, I think what he expects to do is get productivity out of the guys he's got. And, and to me, the biggest question on that line is the right tackle, is, is Pastor. Um, but like you say, a good amount of strength. I think in the run game, we're going to find them to be pretty darn competent. And the bottom line is playing right tackle in this league is pretty hard these days because a lot of those edge rushers come from that side now too. And even though Schwartz became one of the best in the league, I'm not sure that's not more of a comment on the overall state of the right tackle position than it is on how great Schwartz is. I think Schwartz was really good, but I don't think he was all world dominant. And so it, it, it to me is a thing where you can probably get pretty good productivity. And then the backside of this analysis for me is I think you can look around the league and see more than enough examples of teams where if the quarterback plays good enough and if the scheme is good enough, weaknesses along the offensive line do not kill you. Let's look at, for example, teams that have recently won the Super Bowl. Now, granted, they've had Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and so on at quarterback. And so, yes, that's a big deal. But Peyton Manning didn't play a great quarterback the year he won it last year. And so I think you got to look at it and say, assuming you can get things done uh, from the quarterback position, you can do it even if you have some weaknesses on the line. And I don't think they have that many weaknesses to begin with. You look at Cincinnati the last year or two under Hugh Jackson, they had a couple of spots on the O-line I didn't love. Obviously, they had some studs too. Um, but the bottom line is that the ball came out of the quarterback's hand quickly, no matter what. And I think, I, I, I mean, I guess it would be foolish for me to say that they're going to run the Andy Dalton do- offense with RG3. But I do think the idea is going to be get the ball out of Griffin's hands as often as possible, mostly, and sprinkle in the the opportunistic deep ball shot because clearly they've made a habit of taking chances with that ball during the preseason. It happens to be, in my view, Griffin's single greatest weapon is his ability to throw the deep ball accurately and with touch. And all of a sudden, you look outside and there's an an embarrassment of talent. And it, it's it's like it happened overnight. You got real fortunate with the Josh, or depending on how you look at it, I suppose, with the Josh Gordon reinstatement. Corey Coleman drafted number one for a reason, you know, in the first round for a reason by the Browns, and the reason was touchdowns. And, of course, Terrell Pryor really emerging this preseason. And then if you ask a guy like me, you're going to find even more excitement um, lapped on top of that because some of these kids that they drafted, for me most notably it's Higgins and Peyton, but even Lewis has some talent, and I know it'll be a while. Um, you got kids in, in the tight end position making plays. Suddenly you look outside and what used to be a total dearth of athletic ability is now we've got so much that really it ought to make the job of both the coordinator and the quarterback a heck of a lot easier.
Okay, so let's, let's, let's go pick out a few things. First, I, I think Hugh Jackson is going to work himself like a dog to win. It just happens to be that the roster is the way it is. He's Agreed, going to try to right. get everything all out of those guys. There's no question that those everybody is going to try to win. It's just that they happen to gear the, the, the defensive side of the ball into a point where the talent is pretty limited, at least right now. They, they have a lot of upside, but that's sort of what that is. Uh, the offensive line, look, the best thing an offensive line can do is be effective in run blocking so you can dictate to the defense what you're going to do. If you can dictate to the defense what you're going to do so it's you know second and five, second and six, second and three, as opposed to, you know, second and nine, second and 11, those types of things. That's the best thing you can do as far as helping a right tackle. Uh, and, you know, so if, if you can legitimately keep a defense, defense guessing as far as what's coming, it makes a guy like Pastor's job much easier. I think Mitchell Schwartz is downright impressive because the, the, the offense was not uh, able to do that. They they had to throw the ball constantly, and yet he was able to do what he did against guys like Bob Miller. However, he's not a you know beat down people type run blocker. Now, personally, I think they would have been better served to franchise him for a year, have a guy like Pastor compete for the guard job, just and get Coleman a year to sort of acclimate himself and just get a good year of right tackle, and then let Schwartz leave. If you know and go from there. But being where we're at, they have to be able to run the ball uh, so that it helps those guys in pass protection. Uh, they've got to be consistent when it comes to third downs, which was a problem in the preseason. And, and some of that's just new players and, and some of the, the other things, the other issues that they're having. Uh, but those are the things that I think are going to make the job of the offensive line easier, but they've got a group and Greco is not a powerhouse or been stretched, but I've actually been pretty impressed with how he sort of, uh, pushed himself to, to be more physical, they can create holes. Uh, so if you do that and then you can, you know, have a viable play action with a guy like Robert Griffin III who has legs, uh, and I agree with you 100%, I think Hugh Jackson's focus was get the ball out of his hands as fast as humanly possible. Uh, and and for, for a few reasons. First of all, so he can protect himself. Second of all, because when there are offensive line lapses, and there were, uh, he doesn't get himself, he doesn't get killed because of that. And, and, and third, it's I think this offense is going to be based on get the ball to these athletes. They do have legitimately freakish athletes, uh, especially when Gordon comes back with, with a guy like Corey Coleman, with a guy like uh, with Gordon. Uh, with with what Terrell Pryor can be at least as a vertical threat and and lost in all this is, is a guy like Gary Barnage who's just a, a damn good football player uh, who, who people were worried about wouldn't be able to repeat his success and and I've seen nothing to suggest he's not going to be every bit the player he was last year even if the numbers don't reflect it uh, and then you have guys like Duke Johnson who can be a receiving threat just get the ball in their hands and let them do stuff don't feel the need to sort of hold on to the ball and, and try to make everything a hero throw uh, and, and try to score every play into being a touchdown. Just work the offense and just keep moving and do those little things that could really help you. Uh, and and I, I agree. I think I really like what I've seen from Richard Higgins. I wish I would have seen more of Jordan Payton in the preseason. But every time I see Jordan Payton, he's doing something smart. 
Yep. Uh, he just knows how to run routes. He knows how to get open. He knows how to catch the ball. And then you've got these little guys who will we'll see how they're sort of inserted throughout the year, like a Seth Duvall, who's another really good athlete. Uh, and, and seeing how they can sort of just add dimensions to their offense and give them, uh, you know, another, another element that, that can sort of help them over the course of the year. But there are definitely things on this offense where you can be like, there's, there's, you can legitimately believe, even if it's, you know, on paper right now, that this team could put up 35 points against a few teams, that this team can really, uh, not only string some drives together, but you saw in the preseason they have the ability to make the big explosive play where they, I think, they had like three or four, three touchdowns uh, to three different guys that were over, you know, over 20 yards to the end zone. Josh Gordon, Terrell Pryor, and Gary Barnage all had one of those. So they've got that explosive ability, which is going to be critical. But then we've got to add in the, the consistent drive element where they've got to be able to put a nine play, nine play, 10 play you know, 15 play drive and just grind it out and, 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 and get it done in the red zone. Yeah. That's going to be the interesting part to me is how consistently they're able to execute, you know, the, the longer maintained drives, because it's all nice to get a touchdown in a one or two play shot, but there are times in football games and seasons where you really do have to grind it out and not necessarily just because the other team is making it difficult for you to go over the top, but, but also because sometimes you want to just grind out, 10 minutes, you know, you need to, you need to kill a victory. You need to do, um, you need to play some old school football in order to make sure that the other side bleeds out. And so there's always, yeah, yeah, there's the bottom line is there's always a good reason to be able to control the football. And, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see whether they can do that. Um, obviously when you're talking about the offense, the key and the most important question is going to be, how does the quarterback play? Let's now that we've seen it for a preseason. Now that we have the preseason to juxtapose against what we know of his career in Washington, what was your overall take on the Griffin preseason, and what what are your hopes, I guess, for the offense this year? How good can they be? How good do you expect them to be? Um, I, I think overall Griffin was was effective. Uh, would be the word I'd use. As, as a quarterback, the explosive plays were certainly the, the calling card and the thing to get excited about. Consistently, consistency's got to be the, the issue going forward. And the other part of that is if you strike his box score together throughout the preseason, it's pretty, pretty darn good. But he's also taking a lot of hits. And that's the thing that's sort of the, the, the concern is, is maybe he can become, get closer to back to being that rookie year Robert Griffin III. But it can't end the same way where we've just let this guy get beat ragged. And I, I give him credit. Uh, I saw some handsome looking baseball slides, which I liked seeing out of him <laughs> off some big games. Yeah, those which, were miraculous if you, looking. If you watch Russell Wilson, nothing frustrates defenses more than the fact that this guy's picking up these yards and then he gets to the boundary slides and they can't hit him. Nothing is more frustrating to the defenders than they can't hit the guy. And he just gets up. He's perfectly fine. He just goes back to the hole and does it again. If Robert Griffin the third can embrace that, and I think he's doing it, that's going to be a huge element to him. But it's it's not taking the hits in the pocket because those, as much as as getting hit on the run uh, certainly you know isn't what you want to have happen. You can sort of brace yourself a little bit. Whereas if you're taking a blind shot side shot to the quarter uh, you know, in, in the pocket. As a quarterback, you may take you know a, a shot to the throwing 
shoulder or whatever, you don't see it coming. There's nothing to protect yourself. So it's got to be continuing to operate on a short clock, get rid of the ball. We've got to be able to run the ball better this year uh, to protect him in that standpoint. But, yeah, I mean, effective with some with some reason to be hopeful. Uh, he there, There's, again, they, there's no reason to believe this team won't be able to put up some points against uh, against teams this year, and then, they, you know, they, they could be a team that loses, you know, 51 to, to, to 40 type thing where, you, you you know, it's a different way to lose and, and you know, one that's not really shown uh, in terms of high-scoring ways to lose and, and fantasy players will enjoy it, but uh, certainly some more excitement and just trying to, to, to get – the other side of the ball going. I'm hope you know the hope is that this year that the offense is is clicking and we're losing games because we can't stop teams as opposed to the offense is is, is you know isn't clicking. We're not piecing drives together and we're getting killed on defense. Are you surprised that they didn't more aggressively add to the running back position, or do you think that they're going to be pretty effective with Crow and Duke? How are, I guess a better way to ask it. You mentioned it. Are they going to be able to run the ball substantially enough to protect uh, the sort of weaknesses that they do have in the past game? I have crushed Isaiah Crowell. I was impressed with Isaiah Crowell in the preseason. Uh, he was far better. Now, granted, I, I think everybody could agree that, that a gap-blocking scheme was going to be better for him. Tell, you know, show, This is where the hole is going to be as opposed to you have to figure it out. That has that has been the case. It's been a lot better, uh, and he's been more physical. I mean, there's been situations where he's you know finished runs well. There's been situations where he's made a guy miss uh, that wasn't picked up, and then the blocking gave him some help. So that's been good. Again, if you look at the preseason in terms of yards per carry, both Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson were great. Uh, you know, I think a little over, I think around four and a half yards per carry, but. You know, that was like a game's worth of carry for the entire preseason. What's that going to look like when, you know, you have that many touches in one game? Are they going to be able to hold up and, and keep that going? That'll be the question. Uh, certainly, it seemed to me that, that Duke Johnson was good, but they also were very cautious with his usage, uh, that they basically said, here's a couple touches. You look good. Get out. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to mess with it. Uh, perhaps just because... He is a guy they want. They, they think can make plays this year. But also, probably in the back of their mind, he is a guy who gets picked up a little bit, and they don't want to mess with that. Uh, I, I am still stunned that they got rid of uh, Terrell Watson. Yeah. Especially in yeah. Jackson, I have never been impressed with. Uh, I thought, I thought what I had seen out of, uh, of Watson, I like. Uh, he's a big dude who can catch the ball and get behind his pads and run a little bit. So I, I, I like him as an option. But I have believed since the draft when they didn't take a running back, this regime has been looking at this upcoming draft class. And, and you, if you watch football on Saturday, and God, you've got a great weekend of football, which which should uh, finish up today with, with, with a good game. You saw a ton of good running back. And I think that, that I don't think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's any coincidence that they – you know, skipped this past year in the running back class, and suddenly this, this 17 group looks really, really good. Uh, so, I mean, I think they they believe in the, the running backs they have to a point, but they're also quite prepared to, to upgrade 
optimistic about the running game in a way you weren't last year. I think I was extraordinarily excited about the addition of Kirby Wilson, and I think we're seeing why uh, that's, that's been a good addition, uh, and, and both in terms of not just the running back, but the, the running game coordinator, and I think you're seeing some good timings, good uh, fits, and I, and I think there's some plays to be made there, so I'm, hope, I'm, I'm hopeful. Now, the problem is, you know, coming out against Philadelphia, it may not be easy to see it, tough tough game for them right out the gate to prove it but if they can do it against the Eagles I think that speaks volumes for well as you say um, tough game right out the bat number one and number two the schedule on the whole looks kind of kind of gnarly yeah I mean there, there are not a lot of oh there's a win type games on the schedule and and really only a couple where you think well that should be pretty evenly matched for the most part they're going up against teams that I think most of us believe are substantially better at least at the outset of this season than the Browns are now granted things can change pretty quickly in the NFL and you might look around and find that some of these teams are actually pretty bad and that the Browns are better than we thought Um, but I'm wondering on the whole what do you what do you like for sort of a you can give it an over under or what you hope might be the ceiling of how they how they do and then tie it together pete before we go here your prediction for this sunday at philadelphia as they take on the rookie led the carson wentz led philadelphia eagles well on the season the firepower we're going to see you know what what becomes the building blocks to a legitimate offense and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be robert but that would certainly be helpful uh, that you're seeing sort of the pieces of what this can be. And then whether it be next year or the year after, hopefully next year, that it can really become, uh, you know, where they, where they can hang their hat each week. And if you want to sort of put it in a nutshell where this defense is to me, right this second, the best player in the front seven is John. It's a lot better. But right this second, John Hughes is your best front seven player. And I think that, that tells you what you need to know about where this team's going to go. So to me, it's going to be, you know, a four and 12. Well, it could be six and 10. But uh, this, to me, this scored for a team that loses 12 or more games. Uh, and then going ahead to the Eagles, which is going to be interesting because the Browns' strength, if you want to call it that, is the offense. And the Eagles' strength is the defense. Both the other, the offense for the Eagles and the Browns' defense are both uh, question marks to put it. So, you know, where's that going to? Where's that going to sort of uh, get way? Are the Eagles going to be able to move the ball? Uh, you know, if, if the Browns can't stop a team like the Eagles that have you know a rookie quarterback who barely even played in the preseason, have uh, major question marks at uh, receivers. Uh, questions of running back, questions along the offensive line. You know, if they can't stop them, who are they going to be able to stop? Especially in the early going, where if you look at the schedule, it's it's pretty rough. Uh, they they may get better as the season goes along, but just in this first week, uh, I think you're going to get a real snapshot of of how competent this defense can be. Uh, I, I I really hope the Browns can win this game for the simple fact that the Eagles that we own their pick. <laughs> and I think the Eagles are just looking to roll over and die. I do think that I, I, I will pick the Browns to win, 
and, and you know, I think it'll be an, a, a weird game. Uh, probably comes down to the you know the the end of it, and it becomes comes down to the Browns have a veteran-ish quarterback, and the Eagles have a rookie quarterback. And and if it's tight, I'm going to bet on the veteran. So in that standpoint, I, I'll pick them, and 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 obviously we'll get to where we get the score. I love it. I love it. No, you got to give me a score. Uh, I'll say twenty-seven, twenty-four. I love Browns. it. I love it. I love it. I will give mine at the very tail end after I record the outro of the podcast, but uh, it'll be similar. I, again, we are duty-bound, of course, to pick the Browns to win all these games. They're going 16-0 and this season on the podcast, but uh, you've got to find a path home, and Pete just did. Pete, it was so good to talk to you again, man. It's been too long, and this, was, this went by really fast, but we'll be sure to get back after it again next week after this Eagles game, hopefully after a 1-0 start. I appreciate your insight, as always. You can find Pete at DraftBreakdown.com, at NFL Spin Zone, and at underscore Pete Smith underscore on Twitter, where you can and should be following. Pete, always good to talk to you, man. Oh, love it. Love it. Just waiting for me, Andy's and Blue Apron to give you a call. <laughs> Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. All right, and it's exciting to welcome to his maiden voyage here on the Browns Note Podcast, my old friend, colleague, and podcast partner of many years, Mr. Sen Soga, who happens to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan, as uh, many of you probably already know. And we once, not too long ago, attended a season-opening Cleveland Browns-Philadelphia Eagles game in Cleveland that went rather poorly for the Cleveland Browns. It wasn't really good for either team, frankly, but yeah. the Eagles snuck out of there with a win. Sen snuck out of there um, victorious over the people around us. We'll get to that, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that will have some part to play in the uh, prediction coming at the end of the uh, at the end of the podcast here. But Sen Dog wanted to get you on for a few minutes. You can follow him at East Coast Dog. How you doing, brother? I'm great, man. You know, we, we made it through what has been an outstanding initial weekend of college football, and now we turn our head towards the shield and, and all the good things that come with NFL football. Yeah, and of course, this week it turns out our teams are playing each other, and <laughs> we remain uh, uncertain as to whether we are going to attempt to do this and watch it together or whether it's best to have a distance buffer between us. And, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm all about the buffer right now. Cause I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen. I don't need to have you in my crib throwing all kinds of gang signs and things up. In the ceiling. <laughs> you don't need me barking in your living room. dude. I don't need all that. <laughs> well, that at least leads me to believe there that you think there's at least a small possibility that the Browns could actually win this game. Uh, I assume this has something to do with what happened this week. Obviously, a big change in the expected season, and certainly this week's uh, matchup is Carson Wentz, now the starting quarterback there in Philadelphia. Uh, Obviously, the thought was at least going to be that it was Sam Bradford, and then for about 12 hours, the thought was that it was going to be Chase Daniel, and now it is the ginger gunslinger, and I'm curious to know where you stand on all that. Well, number one, it's interesting in that you know, we went all offseason thinking it was a redshirt year, and all of a sudden, the first week of the season, Bradford's gone, and Chase Daniel maybe for just a hot second was real happy until he got the phone off from the coach and says, no, remember, we brought you in to be the backup. So the one thing I'll say is this. For the last three years, the offense has been a bit upside down and a little bit crazy, 
and we're going to get back to kind of what was there under Andy Reid. And even your household is a Browns fan this week. Exactly. (laughs) It sounds like it. (laughs) That does sound like the way we're going to be barking with our young players out there Uh on the field. Yeah, that works out really nicely for you, huh? Um, There's going to be some running of the football. Uh, There's going to be a lot of getting after the quarterback, and those two things, along with special teams, will have to carry the football team early while Carson Wentz is trying to get himself under control. Um, I'd expect to see a lot of quick screens. When you remember what they did in Kansas City or when Andy Reid was the head coach of the Eagles, they were one of the best screen teams in the league. They have one of the best pass-catching running backs in the NFL, and Darren Sproles, an absolute mismatch nightmare for the defense. So I expect to see him get a lot. I like to see a lot of – Matthews is no slouch in that part of the game either. Absolutely. And then two tight end formations – ace formation, one back, where you're going to run the ball with Matthews or get the ball quickly out of the quarterback's hands. The middle of the field has to be Carson Wentz's friend because I fully expect the Browns were going to bring pressure anyway because if they don't, they may have problems covering people um, in the past game, but they're going to get after Carson Wentz early and often, so he's going to have to make sure to use um, Zach Ertz, uh, Brent Selleck to his advantage in the middle of the field so he can get himself protected. Fun stuff. Well, as you know, the Browns have had their troubles stopping the run. And so I guess I'm curious, for years, that had been, um, the run game had been such a staple of what the Eagles were doing. And obviously, Chip Kelly, at least at first, that was part of what he was doing. But the run game faltered, uh, whether because the offensive line sort of got mishmashed up or whether the backs just weren't as productive or whether the scheme got too predictable. I'm sure you have your thoughts on each, but what are you, what are you expecting to see in terms of an offensive run game for the Eagles against a Browns team that it looks like they're getting a little more stout up the middle, but can still be really gotten around the edges. Well, we'll have to see because to me, I think this is at best an average offensive line an aging offensive line without a lot of depth. And they're going to have to find a way to keep these guys healthy because you need to be able to open holes for Ryan Matthews. The problem being that if you're leaning on Ryan Matthews to be your bell cow, we've seen that that's not going to work for all 16 games. Um, I think he's going to have to find, do a lot of uh, some counters, some sweeps. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, sweeps out of the backfield for Darren Sproles. And really interesting, the X factor is going to be Wendell Smallwood. We haven't seen a lot of him. Obviously, he's been injured in the, in the preseason. They I'm going to need him. that name again. <laughs> Wendell Smallwood. Who's Wendell uh, Smallwood? These are the, the rookie running back they took in the fourth round. It looks like it's kind of a scat back type of deal. We're going to get to see. We didn't see much of him except for one game. As you can see, my draft studying was not up to par this season. <laughs> fourth rounders I've never heard of. Real yes, good. because you would, you would have made sure to remember that name, I am sure, had you seen it before. So we'll, we'll see how they work him into the game. Uh, I think we're going to see them going to the left side, obviously, behind Jason Peters. We'll see what happens on the right side with Lane Johnson, if he is actually suspended for those 10 games or if he is there to play. In week one, they still haven't made a decision. I'd expect something to come down by tomorrow from the league office. Oh, yeah, the league office, notorious for getting those decisions made promptly and without regard for the, uh, for the impact it has on teams. I can't believe they're leaving you to five days before a football game to tell you whether you get to have your right tackle or not. I mean, that's just, that's just wrong. Uh, but whatever, that's a whole other podcast. So Exactly right. Um, so... Again, I assume we're going to see them lean heavily on the run against the Browns since the Browns have never proven they can stop anyone. And since the Eagles are running a rookie quarterback who's got, what, four preseason snaps under his belt going out there? Uh, well, you, they have to. Because, look, if you, if you remember what they did in Kansas City with, with uh, Charkandrick West, Jamal Charles, Spencer mm-hmm. Ware, they ran the football. And I think Alex Smith, while he may 
not be the greatest quarterback, I would say these skills. He's a great model for Carson Wentz. Exactly right. So you'd expect to see this offense run that same way. Travis Kelsey, huge part of the offense there in Kansas City. You'd expect to see the tight ends do the same thing here. Um, The question is going to be the guys on the outside, right? Can Jordan Matthews and those guys make enough plays in the passing game to open up the run game for Ryan Matthews, for Darren Sproles, maybe even see a little quick zone read with Carson Wentz. We know he's mobile enough. And then open up the play action oh, game. Yeah, that that part of pocket. his game scares the crap out of me in this game. Exactly. Because be you want him to be able to move the pocket, get out of the pocket so he's not a sitting duck, right? Move the pocket, cut off half the field, make easy reads for him, and Pick then maybe up a spare here 10 there. Or 12 here and there. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly yeah. right. So those are the things I'd like to see out of the offense. And then look, if they win the football game, great. Because we've got two weeks right now. You've got the Browns, who obviously there's a lot of questions, question marks about next week. Uh, got I the appreciate Bears. your diplomacy there. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was really well well stated about what it's going to look like. You're right. The Bears and the Browns is a nice little start if you're putting a rookie quarterback out there and trying to get exactly. your team together. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jordan Matthews. He's their best receiver, and I think uh, it, to be expected, he's the guy that's going to get the lion's share of the big targets. But once you get past that, because I think the obvious matchup there is you're going to end up with, assuming he's ready to go, you're going to end up with Joe Hayden on Jordan Matthews, which I think is an interesting matchup that both guys should get the better of at times. So um, once you get past that matchup, though, who are the depth receivers for the Eagles? Because I think that's where the Browns start to get really concerned. You know, we've got Jamar Fletcher and um, uh, who am I forgetting? I'm blanking. Oh, Tremont Williams on the outside. And uh, it, both guys have shown positives and negatives. But I think you start to wonder, OK, but who are they going to be covering? Well, uh, you know, Nelson Aguilar, obviously, disappointing rookie season. Uh, he's going to need to see a he big be step up. He's, he'll be on the field. You've got to see a big step up from him this season to show that he was worth the number 20 pick and the accolades that I, for one, also threw on him after watching him in college. Uh, also, Doriel Green-Beckham. We saw some good things oh, out of him in the preseason. Shit, that's right. His head is on right. And I expect him fully to be a red zone target. That's one of the things. Oh, yeah. That they're absolutely missing last year was a strong red zone target. He the will dog be. Dog Pound invading your lap right now, dude. Dog Pound is all up in here. I think she's, <laughs> she was just laying back there, relaxing all quietly. Somebody decided to walk their dog, and she guards the street. This is her street. How dare you walk past the front of the house? So, Understood. Um, but so those, those are the three guys really in the passing game that you have to worry about for the Eagles. They don't have a lot of depth at receiver either. And they've got a bunch. And this is sad for me to say, but they've got a bunch of possession receivers you can't catch. They had to almost lead the league in drops last year. They have no big play threats down the field. So well, they do they now. To, well, they do now. They have to scheme those big plays into the offense. And that guy so, has to be, have his head on right, as you said. Exactly right. Now, from what I saw in the preseason, he looks ready. Maybe this is a fresh start for him. Uh, we'll see. I mean, there's, like I said, both teams have tons of questions. This is the first game where you really have no idea what's going to happen. I would have thought with Sam Bradford, probably I'd give the Eagles a, a three-and-a-half, four-point lead in this game. Um, now, without Sam Bradford, I would say this is an absolute you know, pick em type of football game because on the other side of the ball, the Browns can make plays on this Eagles defense if they're able to block the defensive line. All of a sudden, the Browns have playmakers that people actually have to worry about a little bit, but you brought up the key question. Uh, and for me, problem number one, two, and three for the Browns on offense this week is dealing with 91 uh, because, look – I'll just tell you, the panic about the Browns' offensive line is way overstated. They're going to be just fine. But even if you're just fine, Fletcher Cox is a problem. And Fletcher Cox comes from the part of the offensive line where the Browns have a young, still-learning guy who has definitely improved and has shown he's going to be a pretty solid center. But 
even the best centers are going to struggle with Fletcher Cox. So what have teams done when they've been able to neutralize that guy for any kind of stretch? Because I'm looking at the Browns thinking, man, if you have to, you know, if you have to push in your, your, your protection to the point where you're dealing with two or even three guys at times, at least having an eye or an arm on Fletcher Cox, the idea there, and I'm sure you're excited about the Jim Schwartz edition, is to have those guys out of that wide nine get all kinds of fun little one-on-one matchups with tackles. And I'll just tell you that while that doesn't worry me when you've got Joe Thomas on the left, it worries me with Austin Pastor on the right because his strength is not, you know, dancing on his feet. So talk to me about sort of the pressure that front line is going to create. Well, this will be interesting now going from what was a 3-4 defense without any type of playmakers besides Fletcher Cox now a 4-3 D-line, which is going to make him the focus and kind of trouble like Marcel Darius was when you looked at that defense in Buffalo. Uh, when you look at the defense in Detroit, the way Indomitian Sioux was trouble for everybody. That three technique, the way he's able to pressure inside or outside, because he was playing 3-4 DN the last couple of years. So he has pass rushing technique. I think he had 11 or so sacks last season. So now coming from the inside, you have to put two people on him. You cannot block Fletcher Cox with one man. It's not going to happen. So if you have to double team, now you've got Vinnie Curry on one side, who we know can put pressure on the quarterback. Um, on the other side, you have Connor Barwin, which maybe the 15 sacks he had a couple years ago may have been a bit of a, a fluke, but he can still get after the quarterback as well. Um, so we'll see how that works out. They have to get a hold of him, and then they have to find out a way to block Jordan Hicks in the run game. Because Jordan Hicks, all the way, he got hurt last year, midway through the season. He was turning into one of the better middle linebackers, better young middle linebackers that we've seen if he bounces back healthy. That'll be interesting to see. I think their front seven is really good. I think the way Schwartz has set it up, get after the quarterback on a regular basis, stop the run on the way to the quarterback, I'm all about that. If they can do it, they can try to find a way to hide these defensive backs. I'm not quite sure you want to lean on guys like Ron Brooks, Leotis McKelvin. Well, you to, bring to, that up, and i got to <laughs> ask you, you've, you saw the preseason, and you saw what the Browns' probably best offensive weapon is, which is the downfield pass, because they've got a bunch of guys that are capable of making those plays. Terrell Pryor has turned into a deep threat. Josh Gordon won't be in this game, so you can thank your stars about that one. But the bottom line is Corey Coleman can get deep on you. Gary Barnage is a problem for linebackers. And if you are paying enough attention to all those guys, you got to worry about Duke Johnson out of the backfield. You know, the front seven is nice. Do the Eagles have the, the horses and the athletes to match up with those guys on the outside or to match up with Duke should he get out in space? I'm not sure they can do it on a regular basis. Well, that, that's remained the scene as we have now a – a completely new scheme and guys still getting used to their places on the field. Nigel Bradham is probably the guy you'll see a lot on, uh, on Gary Barnage or on Duke Johnson out of the backfield. That'll be an interesting matchup there. Um, I think you'll have to see if McLeod and Malcolm Jenkins at the safety position can do that. Jenkins proved last year that he's an absolute stud moving from cornerback to safety in that defense. Uh, McLeod and the Rams showed some good playmaking abilities at the free safety position. We'll need that in this defense because they haven't really had anybody like that in a long time. Uh, since Weapon X, right? So they need somebody back there at the at the. You're going to need to translate that one for Browns fans. Who's Weapon uh, X? Weapon X would be Brian Dawkins, right? Probably, I think between him and Troy Polamalu, Polamalu absolutely transformed that free safety position. Rather from somebody just the the guy on the backside. Ed Reed has a question plays. for you. Ed, well, Ed Reed was just himself. <laughs> Ed Reed is just a different, and they were before Ed Reed as well, right? Ish. They they were before Ed Reed. Um, my apologies. Doc <laughs> certainly was, yeah. Yeah, Doc certainly was. So those are the guys, when I look at this defense, I have to be able to make plays. Jenkins, McLeod have to be strong in the pass game and make up for what will be deficiencies at the cornerback position. And then the outside linebackers have to be able to hold up against Barnett. For some reason, on my fantasy teams, I have a huge share 
of Gary Barnage. I don't know where that came from, but if he continues to build on what happened last year, that dude is going to score touchdowns still because he's going to be matched up on people that can't handle him. So um, that's going to be the way it is. All right. It is time. Send dog your prediction, please, for Sunday morning. I have to pick the Eagles, number one, because I have a theory on the first two weeks of the season. Home openers, you go with the home team. I just feel like that that's the easiest the way Browns to go. The Browns haven't won an opening game on the road since, like, I was in junior high or something like that. Well, the Browns are probably the exception to every type of winning rule that there is. But I'm going to go with the home team uh, in a relatively ugly football game. Uh, Eagles winning 20-17 to 17 on the strength of some Caleb Sturgis 55-yard field goal with no time left. Yeah, that sounds appropriately ugly and boring. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm hoping for a more... I, what I'm looking for, Sendog, is the shootout. I, I guess we probably shouldn't expect that with a rookie quarterback on your side and right. a bunch of new players on my side and no Josh Gordon and all that. But it would be way more fun if everybody was scoring touchdowns, um, or at least if the Browns were. Uh, so, yeah, I suspect we'll maintain that buffer this weekend. Uh, if we could fit in a round of golf before the game, it might make sense to do it, but... Neither of us is getting up that early, and frankly, they won't let us on the course at 4.30. So. That's probably true. No, yeah. I, I would think if it gets to be a shootout, obviously it's quite in the Browns' favor. Um, the Eagles really want to slow the game down. Boy, it's been a long time since I heard somebody say something like that. And be, and be more physical and you know methodical in their yeah. ball control of the offense. And so I'd expect the, the score to stay low and the crowd to be fired up and a lot of physical football to be played. I'm geeked up and ready for that to be on your squad. Yeah, looking forward to it. Should be a fun, fun game. I, yeah, I, I've made my prediction on here already, but I, I'm duty-bound, of course, to select the Browns to win this game. So we'll see how it turns out. I have limited optimism in real life. And, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Football's back. It's good to be back on here with you again, my friend. That is the Send Dog, everyone. Check him out at East Coast Dog. Thanks, buddy. Peace. And I hope you all enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it with these three friends, Brendan Leister, Pete Smith, Sen Soga, at Brendan Leister, at underscore Pete Smith, underscore, and of course, my man, at East Coast Dog, all of those on Twitter where you can and should be following those folks. Uh, my predictions, since I think I alluded to it and then failed to actually give it, obviously, being duty-bound to choose the Browns, I'm going to take the Browns victorious in a 24-23 game this Sunday at Philadelphia over the aforementioned Sen Soga at East Coast Dogs Eagles. And uh, if that happens, we'll be sure to have him back on. If not, maybe not so much. But we'll see you back here one way or another next week. And until then, man, let's do it this time. How about an opening day victory? We leave you. Woof. Mm-hmm.